Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for the Tech Guy is provided by Cashfly. C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. Hi, this is Leo Laporte, and this is my Tech Guy podcast. This show originally aired on May Day, Sunday, May 1st, 2011, on the premier radio networks, including 144 of the best stations in the U.S. and Canada, and XM Channel 158. Programming note, if you listen on XM, we'll be on 166 next weekend. Uh, this is episode 766. Enjoy. Oh, hi. How are you? Good to see you. Welcome. You snuck up on me. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. And it's time on this May Day, a beautiful May Day, to talk about technology. Computers, the internet, cell phones, camcorders, MP3 players, home theater, you know, all that cool stuff. It's the toys, of course. And I think that's the first thing people get focused on, the toys. I used to get mad. I used to get mad because people would say, oh, what's the coolest gadget? And I, I never, I don't really consider myself a gadget guy. Gadgets to me are kind of trivial little throwaway things that uh, are, you know, have some cool factor, but are, but are toys. And I love gadgets, <laughs> and they're kind of like candy, aren't they? They're maybe not so good for you, but <laughs> they're fun. Not so good for your wallet, but they're fun. But I really think that I, this isn't a gadget show, and so I don't consider myself a gadget guy. We'll talk about technology and how it's changing your life, though. And, and sometimes that is a gadget. Certainly these days, cell phones uh, are the real you know, topic of the conversation. Uh, mobile internet, mobile computing, which is really the cell phone. is That's what it is. It's not about phone calls anymore. It's about communications. It's about taking something in your pocket that has the power of a desktop computer and using that power in the real world. I just, I love this ad. Have, you've seen the ad where uh, the little girl's at a lemonade stand and her dad says, oh, here's Susie, and gives her his smartphone. You can use this for a calculator. And she ends up building a lemonade empire because she's got maps and she's got all the fees. It's a Verizon ad. And uh, I'm not a big Verizon fan necessarily, but I like the concept. That in a way, we are giving our children these powerful tools the next generation, and I can't, it's amazing. I can't wait to see what they do with them. And that's, that's really what this is about. This show is about uh, talking about these things, how they're changing our world, and very practically, how you can use them to change your world, your life, to have more fun, sure, but also to make a difference in your personal life and the world around you. So it's, uh, it's I don't, I think to say gadget sounds trivial. This is, I don't think a trivial thing. I think we're, our world is changing, and we need to understand it, and that's what I do. You, I certainly invite your comment, your thoughts, your questions. I love to, I love to gab about this stuff. That's what I do for a living. Eighty-eight, eighty-eight, ask Leo. That's the phone number. Eight, 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 two, seven, five, five, three, six. I just downloaded for my uh, Android phone, and I guess it's on the iPhone too. A new application HBO put out yesterday. That is another example of how our world is changing. It's uh, called HBO Go now. You don't have to be an HBO subscriber to think this is of interest. 
It's certainly not of interest. I mean, per, you know, you, it's not of practical interest if you're not an HBO subscriber. But if you are an HBO subscriber, it, you know, this is pretty cool because what it does is it lets you watch anything on HBO on a portable device, stream directly. And, and you know who's left out here? The middleman. I guess maybe not, because I noticed one of the things you have to do with this is you have to log into your cable provider, but that's so they can validate that you're paying a cable bill. But you're not watching it on cable, are you, if you're watching it on your smartphone? And even if you're watching it at home on your computer uh, or uh, via the Wi-Fi on the smartphone, I guess it would work on the iPad too, right? Uh, even if you are watching it at home, and you are, in effect, using your cable company because that's who provides your internet connection, you're not paying them big bucks they'd like it's not a complete elimination of the cable company obviously you have to be a subscriber through the cable company to use this that's the way hbo is keeping the cable company happy but don't you kind of sense the beginning of the end for these middlemen it's happened in so many industries it happened in the travel industry it's happening in the real estate industry the people who intermediate for you who represent you uh, are are in some ways no longer needed. You just go direct to the seller. And certainly HBO would like this. I could tell you I have some experience in this because I used to work for a cable channel called Tech TV. And uh, yeah, it's expensive to do television, but the real expense of a cable channel isn't that. It's the marketing expenses, getting the cable company to carry your channel. And it's not just the cable company, Comcast, and go to you go to the national office. No. What you what you do first is you go to the national office and you get something they call a hunting license. <laughs> I like the imagery. You get a hunting license from Comcast in Philadelphia, from the big national office, saying that, yes, we approve of this cable channel. And now you have to go to every town in the country, one by one, and convince them to carry it. That's why, you know, of course, the big networks get carried, HBO gets carried, but these small cable channels, that's why they're in some towns and not in all towns. We At Tech TV, we only gotten about uh, half of all cable homes by the end. And that only that, at great expense, tens of millions of dollars every year in, in cash payments to these regional cable companies to get them to carry you. Very expensive. And then, of course, the cable company uh, eventually will pay the cable channel per subscriber, but they get that money from the subscribers. So it's it's an interesting transaction. Uh, you, you're as a cable. Let's say you've got uh, Leo's cable channel. I, I now have to go to uh, Comcast in uh, in Indianapolis and say, please, would you carry this on your system? And they say, what are you going What are you going to do for me? And I'll say, well, I have here in this black bag, I've got five hundred thousand dollars in marketing co-op money that you can use <laughs> to promote the ch- promote the channel. And they go, hey, thank you. That's very handy. Now, eventually, I'm going to get that money back from Comcast Indianapolis because they're going to pay me for the subscribers, but it's very expensive. And Comcast, they got it good, right? Because they're going to take that $500,000. Now they're, they're happy. They're going to put the channel on, and then they're going to start charging subscribers for the channel. But this, this system is starting to break down because Leo's cable channel doesn't have to go to Comcast Indianapolis anymore. Leo's cable channel can just be on the internet. And you, as a viewer, can just watch it. And don't you think HBO would like to do that? HBO must be spending so much money to, to get these cable companies. I guess now they've got it, right? They've, they've spent the money. 
and now they're just raking it in as the cable companies give them money. But if you could go directly to HBO, everybody would be happy. In fact, forget HBO. They're a middleman, too. What if the people who create shows for HBO, the Sopranos, and Game of Thrones, and what if the movie companies that sell them movies, what if they could just go to you directly and say, hey, $40 a season, you can have the Sopranos. They'd make more money. They'd eliminate, because these middlemen take money, Comcast and HBO, they take, they take their, their cut. And that's what's happening. That's what's very interesting. The problem is that we've got all these interlocking arrangements. Comcast can't just say, I mean, uh, HBO can't just say, oh, forget Comcast. I'm going to sell it directly to you. No, they have to do it through Comcast. Otherwise, they're going to lose, you know, cable carriage. And probably it says so in their contracts, too. I know that it did Tech TV because here we are. We're Tech TV. We, we would like to put all our shows on the Internet. All right? Why not? You guys are techie. Can't. Contracts are very specific. No more than 10 minutes an hour. Can't. And that's why you don't see this rapid innovation and see companies moving to the Internet. You don't see movie companies um, going to the Internet, although you're starting to see more of that. YouTube wants to get in on that. They're encouraging independent productions, aren't they? And it's mostly going to be, let's, let's face it, companies that are new. They don't have a dog in this hunt. They don't have all those contracts and all those uh, requirements. They don't have to keep their old business alive to create the new business. That's exciting. Because instead of the same old, same old, you're going to see new, innovative producers doing different things. But I do think this, the time will come. We're kind of waiting for this. Where somebody big, a Matthew Weiner who, who does Mad Men, or um, the guy who does uh, uh, The Wire, saying, you know, why am, I, why am I going hat in hand to Hollywood? Why don't I just produce this on the Internet? I can get some investors, raise the money. Sell it directly to my customers. Why don't I do that? That time is coming. But those cable companies are going to fight tooth and claw to keep it from happening. 8888 Ask Leo. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Let's talk next. The tech guy, <laughs> 88, 88, ask Leo. That's my phone number. Toll free from anywhere in the U.S., 888-8275536. You know, the easiest thing to do is go to the webpage. It's got everything there, the phone number, the chat room, the live audio and video, everything you want, all the stations that we're on, 144 stations now. Uh, all of those stations in the Tech Guy Radio Network, they're all there at the website. What's the website address, you might ask? Well, I'd be glad to tell you. It is techguylabs.com, techguylabs.com. We welcome Fox News Radio 810 for Franklin Hart and Madison. Joining us this weekend, uh, and from Berlin, Wisconsin, uh, W-I-S-S-A-M, but I shouldn't call them that. I should call them Big Red AM 1100. Thank you for joining the Tech Guy Network. Great to have you both. Great to have everybody here on this May Day. Hope it's a beautiful day where you are. Going to the phones, uh, we'll start with Ari in Brooklyn. Hi, Ari. Leo Laporte, the Tech Guy. 
You know, Kyle, I don't... Oh, there we go. Hi, Ari. Hey, Leo. How are you doing? I'm well. What can I do for you today? Um, I'm an avid BlackBerry user. I'm actually still using the 8830 because I just love the, the ease of use from, you know, hitting the keys because I use it exclusively for email. Right. I use it for tethering, and that's actually kind of slow. My question for you is I've heard about the BlackBerry Dakota that's supposed to be coming out, and I was wondering if you knew about the anticipated release date and, I guess, ease of use and how how much faster it would be as far as tethering goes. Yeah, so there's a number of things there. RIM, which makes the BlackBerry, has been struggling of late because other smartphones have kind of eclipsed RIM, although uh, they haven't. that hasn't slowed them down. They released the Playbook, which I, uh, I was impressed with, although it, it lacks some applications. And there are, you know, BlackBerry World is coming up, and we expect that they will announce uh, at least a couple of new phones at BlackBerry World. Some of them have been uh, kind of leaked by accident. But I would expect that, uh, that that's when at least you're going to see more information. And what carrier are you on? I'm on Verizon. Okay. So part problem number one is that 8830 uh, is uh, 3G but not 4G. So one of the things that will be improved is if, and I'm sure they will, BlackBerry announces a 4G. I, I think the uh, you know they leaked the Bold Touch 9900, which I think is a 4G phone. It uses the newest version of... Uh, their operating system, I think it's, they, they call it something, but it's 6.5 or 6.1, I think. Um, they've got the uh, Apollo. Uh, there's all sorts of interesting phones coming out. They're, they look like, I have to say, a variation on a theme. I mean, you'll be very comfortable going from your curve to this uh, touch. Uh, it almost looks like the same hardware, just faster, better. Right. And I suspect that, you know, tethering is mostly, the speed of tethering is mostly conditioned by the speed of the network you're on. And going to a 4G network, if it's available in your area, you're in Brooklyn, yeah, it is available. Yeah. Certainly make a, certainly make a big difference. Uh, but also the speed of the processor and the ability of the operating system to, uh, to to pass that data along to you. So I think a newer, newer faster phone will be a difference. Okay. Um, now Blackberry World is next week, so we'll know whatever it is. We'll know they're they're you know that's that's when they're gonna that's when they're gonna make any announcements that they're gonna make. And I can't imagine that they wouldn't announce whatever's coming up in the next six months at BlackBerry World. Got it. So when's BlackBerry World happening? Did you mention that? Next, next week in Orlando. Oh, okay, cool. Thank so you. you don't have to wait long. Perfect. <laughs> okay. Hey, thanks. Appreciate it, Ari. Uh, I don't think they've announced it. Have they announced anything yet? We just saw that uh, actually next week. No, this week. <laughs> Not next week. This week. Um, they haven't. Uh, I mean, we're here we are Sunday. I guess we're officially in the new week. Um, I don't think they have uh, announced anything yet, though, so we'll keep our eye uh, peeled. I have to say, I, I'm, I started, until the iPhone came out, I started as a big BlackBerry fan. I used the BlackBerry back when it was a big old pager with a keyboard, not even a phone. And, and it was just mind-blowing to be able to receive, send and receive email. And I remember interviewing the chairman of the FCC at that time, Michael Powell. This would have been in uh, 2004, seven years ago. And he and everybody else in government carried these big BlackBerry pagers. And uh, I asked him, well, how do you use it, Commissioner Powell, Chairman Powell? And he said, and I think this is probably how it was most widely used. I don't, I don't use it so much to read and send and respond to email. I use it to clear out stuff I don't, you know, I just need to know about so that when I get back to work, my inbox is, is ready for me to do the hard work. So you still kind of want a big keyboard. And I think a lot of people have for, for a lot of people, that's the BlackBerry's primary use is as an email device with a phone. It, the hardware did not keep up, uh, though, and, and I was a, 
I was a torch user. I guess I had a curve. I was a curve user when in 2007 the iPhone came out, and I uh, I realized what a great leap we'd made. BlackBerry tried to keep up uh, with the storm, which was essentially their version of an iPhone, but it wasn't as good. It wasn't even close. And you know, if you're going to go after the iPhone, you've got to be better. You can't be not as good. That's not going to do it. Uh, but many people still like a physical keyboard, something you can't get on most smartphones. Uh, they like the BlackBerry form factor. And if you're using it in business or government, in many cases, because your business or government uh, institution has a BlackBerry server, it just works better. So I think they're maintaining some market share just based on that. Uh, remains to be seen uh, if they will continue to survive, however. I think it's touch and go right now. Scotland Calling is pointing out that a lot of kids have Blackberries. I've, I've noticed that. I don't understand. I'm not sure why that is. Maybe they're getting hand-me-downs from mom and dad. They're certainly less expensive, and you don't have to pay that uh, $90 a month data plan in some most cases. Hey, let's say hi to Angela, Sonoma, California. Just up the road a piece. Hi, Angela. Hi. Hey, I um, I'm looking to buy a laptop, um, and I just I you know be the first one that I have. Although I've been used to using uh, just a PC. Okay. Work, but um, and I'm not terribly savvy, but I don't want to limit myself. Should I you know upgrade my skills? And I'm thinking of maybe using it for. Um, you know, branching out on my own, either, you know, as a coach, uh, you know, using it for, for training, facilitation. Um, so, and I'm even thinking of um, maybe a Mac, just because I have seen what others have done. If you're even thinking of a Mac, then I would get one. The, the only people I don't recommend Macs to are people who say, and I want a Windows machine. No. Unequivocally, I'm- I know I want Windows because my brother-in-law is an expert or I have all this Windows software I need to run or since I already know Windows, I don't want to do anything else. But if you're even saying maybe I should get a Mac, absolutely. The Mac is a great home machine. The only negatives on a Mac are that it, they're more expensive, uh-huh. but I think you get better hardware as a result. I mean, I think they're really quality hardware and, by the way, much better support. They haven't, every other PC manufacturer's unbundled support. You get lousy support. Because they're not, you're not paying for it. So part of the expense of a Mac is just better support. Okay. Uh, and then the other thing you get uh, that you don't get, I should say, is, and I don't think this is going to matter to you, but gaming is not as great on a Mac. Get that, um... It's getting better, but it's, it's not as, it, PCs are still better gaming platforms. But yeah, you don't care about that. Everything else you want to do, with the exception of a handful of programs that are Windows only, and I think even that's changing. Like- uh, you could, pardon me? Which ones are those? Well, you'll know. Uh, actually, hang on, because it's a good question. We are going to uh, get Scott Wilkinson on our home theater guy in about four minutes. But do hang on, because I'd like to talk more about why you might want to get a Mac. Leo Laporte, the tech guy.
This portion of the Tech Guy Show is brought to you by my internet service provider, DSL Extreme, for high-speed internet at an amazing price. Call 866-2-GET-NET to get DSL Extreme. Leo Laporte, the Tech Guy. We'll get back in a bit to Angela. She wants to buy her first laptop. She's used desktops. And uh, she's thinking about a Mac, and I just want to give her the pros and cons in a non-religious way. Because I think, (laughs) you know how that is. A lot of people take this stuff extremely seriously. Oh, yeah. And and, uh, it isn't. It's not a religion. It's not football teams. It's just a device. (laughs) And it's, and some, you know, it's like some people like Blackberries. Some people like iPhones. Don't take it personally. So we'll talk uh, both pro and con on. Uh, on it's not platforms. politics after all. It, well, geez, let's hope we've had enough of that. <laughs> and the royal wedding. Scott Wilkinson is on the line. He's the editor in chief of the Ultimate AV Magazine at uh, ultimateavmag.com. Also a uh, columnist for Home Theater Magazine, hometheatermag.com. Joins us every week. In fact, I'm going to be taking a couple of weekends off. And if you would, we would love it if you would uh, fill in for me. I would absolutely love to do that. Good. I'd be very pleased and privileged to do so. Later this month, I have to go to Paris uh, at the call at the, the beck and call of the president, uh, <laughs> Nicholas Sarkozy. Really? Uh, well, it's yeah. Uh, it basically the G eight. You've heard of the G eight summit? That's sure. where you always get all those protesters. It's the eight largest, most developed nations: U.S., right. France, Germany, uh, Great Britain. Japan and so forth meet uh, once a year. The, the leaders meet. They're meeting this year in Deauville in France. So uh, President Sarkozy is the host, the nominal host. And he's decided, and I think this is great, that a couple of days before the G8 summit, he is convening uh, a, a, a forum of technology uh, entrepreneurs, leaders, thought leaders to draft a uh, briefing, I guess, uh, for the G8 summit. On the internet and the economy, on hmm. on how the how governments should think about the internet, and uh, when he invited me, I was so flattered because I want to. I really, I think I have a different, perhaps, perspective than Verizon, and, <laughs> yes. and Comcast, yes. and even Google and Microsoft, yeah. and so uh, you know, all of those people will be at the table. But I'm really glad that somebody could be at the table who will say, "Hey, let's let's consider." the societal importance of the internet and a free and open internet that gives people mm-hmm. a chance to innovate and develop. And in the long run, that's better for the economy. You can, you can reward the current businesses by closing the internet down and making it their bailiwick, or you can think for the future and the, and the future of your nations um, and, and of your children and make sure it's a free and open internet where they can innovate and the next Google and the next Microsoft and the next Verizon can be created. That's great. So I want to stand up and be counted. So it's a great opportunity. I I hate to leave the show, but uh, I will be there May 21st and 22nd, and we'd love it if you'd fill in for me. I would be delighted to do so. So stand by. We don't know which day, but Scott will do one of those days. Meanwhile, I know you've got a new feature on the Ultimate AV magazine. Yes, indeed. I want to make sure everyone knows this. Um, As you know, uh, I answer questions online all the time from readers and listeners. Uh, I've been doing it on uh, Ask Home Theater on, on the HomeTheaterMag.com website, but uh, I get so many more questions than I can possibly answer there. So I've started a new feature on Ultimate AV called Ask Scott. I like the idea. <laughs> and I answer a question a day. Wow, you're a bold Every man. day. And uh, I, it, may, it may end up increasing because I still get a ton of questions. Sure. The, the other thing that I want to make sure everyone knows is um, – 
to send your questions to me, you can send them to scott at techguylabs.com. That email address used to direct to my corporate email. Uh, and it, I've now set up a Google uh, Gmail account because... Because of the volume. <laughs> the volume. And, yeah. and my corporate email system wasn't designed to handle that kind of volume. Yeah. Welcome to the 21st century, Scott. Yes, indeed. Now, you're uh, actually, the last question I posted, some of the questions that I get, I can't answer because I'm not really an expert on certain things. And the last question I posted is just like that. And I wanted to bring it up to your audience in particular because I, I hope when I post a question like that, that I'll get some responses from people who know more than I do. In the comments. And in the comments, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's the, there's the, right there, there's the beauty of the internet. Yeah. It's no longer, you know, uh, a monologue, it's a dialogue, it's communication. Exactly. I love exactly. that. Exactly. And this yeah. is what I want to happen with this, uh, with this column. And so this question is, the, the reader wrote in and said he's trying to, import all of his uh, eight millimeter videotapes, home movies or whatever, and uh, into his computer. Mm-hmm. And he, he was getting some problems when uh, uh, the computer file looked darker than it did through the eyepiece of the camera that was playing the file. And what did I recommend for the best hardware and software to do this? Well, I'm not, I don't have a lot of experience in that particular area. So I threw it open to the readers. I did uh, contact Alex Lindsay to ask him if he knew anything about it. And he did have one good thing to say. He said um, that it might very well be the, there are several stages in this signal path, right? Going from the camera through the capture device into the computer, into whatever software you're using. And at each step along that path, there may very well be um, a different way in which the, that step is handling what's called gamma, which is the way the picture responds to different levels of brightness Mm. in the information. So he said, you might want to play around with that. Uh, But otherwise, he said, you know, I haven't really imported videotape into a computer, into a PC anyway, uh, which is what this person is using uh, for like the last 10 years. So he didn't really have any up-to-date knowledge about product and so on. So I throw it open to the readers and the listeners. And I really hope you'll go to uh, ultimateavmag.com if you know anything about this subject. Uh, and uh, insert a comment about uh, what you might recommend. That's the best way to do it because uh, everybody has some different experiences. I could speculate as Alex did. Uh, I have to say, just looking at monitors, and you know this, looking at monitors, there's a huge variation in brightness. Yeah. Um, And and, uh, one of the things that uh, is true is that we tend to run our monitors too bright, brighter than Mm -hmm. they should be. In fact, you know this when you go from dynamic to the movie setting on your HDTV. It's suddenly dark. Yeah. Uh, it looks dark. It looks dark, but you had just take a little while to get used to it. It's going to be easier on your eyes. You're going to have less eye strain. It's going to ultimately look better. You just have to take a moment, a little while to get used to it. The real issue is, is the detail uh, there? Is all the information there? Yeah. Um, and, and so I think a lot of times, especially computer users, often set things too bright. That, that eyepiece on the camera is probably set brighter than you want it to be so that it's more easily visible in daylight and in unusual situations. Yeah, that's not how bright you would want it to be on the TV anyway. So, right. so maybe maybe what the result that they're getting is correct after all. Yeah, I, that's what I would say is first of all, uh, don't assume just because it's darker than the eyepiece that it's wrong. It mm-hmm. actually may be that the eyepiece is wrong. You should look at it on your TV. You know, once you transfer it over and edit it, and even your monitor, your computer monitor may not be very well calibrated. Computer monitors tend to be set much brighter than they should be uh, for mm-hmm. for movie viewing. Put it yeah. on your TV set. If it looks 
if you can see the detail in the darkness, mm-hmm. isn't that how you want it, uh, Scott? Yeah, is absolutely. That the darkness should be as dark as it can be that you still see detail. Correct. That's exactly right. You want to be able to, and, and that's one of the parameters that I evaluate with TV in TV reviews all the time is what's called shadow detail. So in the low light scenes, the, the best example is on Master and Commander, the opening shots of the watchman walking through the under the decks, you know, while everyone's asleep in their hammocks. It's very dark, uh, but there is uh, some low level detail in right. there and uh, a poor TV, it'll all just look like a solid gray blob. Right. right. Um, you, you want it to look good... like black with some detail in it, exactly. which is how life is. And exactly. I, I suspect that that's probably what's going on that the eyepiece is brighter in the camera mm-hmm. uh, when he digitizes it he's looking at it on his computer screen it might even be darker still on your tv set but if you could see the detail you're not losing stuff that you could see in the eyepiece look at mm-hmm. the eyepiece look at the blacks i bet the blacks are gray in the eyepiece yeah that's a good point that's a very good point i hadn't thought of that yeah um so i'm i'm going to be answering at least one question a day in this ask scott uh column and I encourage everyone to send their questions to me at uh, scott at techguylabs.com. That'll get redirected to my Gmail account, and uh, I'll go from there. Thank you, Scott. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. land is your land, and this land is my land, from California to the New York Island. Now that's something you don't hear on a modern radio. We sure ought to. This land was made for Great Woody Guthrie. Love that song. Good choice, Kyle. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. We are talking uh, about uh, computers, the internet, cell phones, all the technology stuff. And uh, on the line with me is Angela from Sonoma, California. Thank you for hanging on, Angela. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. We do Scott at that same time every day, so I had to do it. But uh, I am, I'm very glad to continue our conversation. Angela says, I have a desktop and I'm ready to buy my first laptop. And I was thinking of a Mac. So I wanted in a non-partisan uh, way describe pros and cons. And, of course, there are people who are fans of either team who you know windows and mac will have more partisan comments but i'm going to try to be as balanced as i can on this and i use both i should say and i and i think there are pros and cons on both the nice the, the good i told you the bad things about the mac which is more expensive and uh, and gaming is maybe not quite up to up to par the good things about the mac is security is at a higher level not because it's inherently more safe it's my opinion that's because it's just not attacked but that's okay it doesn't matter why you, there currently uh, are very, in fact, I will say no uh, viruses in the wild for the Mac, so you don't have to worry about security to the degree. You should still be aware and alert, but you don't have to worry. If you make a mistake, it's not the end of the world. It can be really the end of the world on a PC. Uh, that's a huge advantage. You know, Apple used to say easier to use. You know, the computer for the rest of us. I would disagree with that. The Mac and Windows uh, 7 are very similar and uh, just as easy on either side. It might be easier for you to use Windows because you've used it. But uh, but I don't think you're gonna. But the truth is, if if an alien came down from space and I put a Mac and a PC in front of them and I said, "Boy, we have fought religious wars over this," they'd say, "Why? There's menus, there's windows. You close the window, you expand." The the, the truth is, the set of software, the set of capabilities, 
are very similar. The different oh, Windows uses a control panel to set up the system. Macintosh calls it the system preferences. That's the kind. That's the order of difference. On Windows, you close a window by clicking in the upper right corner. On the Mac, you click in the upper left corner. Oh, okay. Stuff like that. You can do. You can deal with it. Now, you asked me about Windows software. You have you have to be the judge of what software you need to use on it. But if it's if it's uh, you know the standard stuff, browser, email, uh, uh, office suites, that kind of thing, they're completely com- uh, PowerPoint. You can get on both. Com- yeah, Microsoft makes the complete Office for both Mac and Windows, and they're functionally identical. Okay. So, in in terms of uh, computers, from from a real world perspective, there's not that much difference. Uh, I do like a Mac. I think they're better quality. I think for home users, they're really a good choice. And, oh, by the way, the Mac can run Windows. If you had to run a Windows program, Windows runs fine on a Mac. Not vice versa. You can't run OS X on a Windows machine, but you can run Windows on a Mac. Okay. What about a model? Uh, I know a friend just bought a Mac Pro, but it was a little up upgraded because she uses it for music and I wouldn't be doing that. You you probably don't need that. And uh, certainly there's the MacBook which is uh, $1000 but it's white plastic. I'm not crazy about the design on it. It's a little clunky. Uh-huh. I would look at there's really two choices. Uh I would look at a 13-inch MacBook Pro. If is small important to you? Um I do have a smaller um well I mean I'm thinking yeah in terms of lightweight but it's more about Oh, if you want lightweight, I would look at the Air. The Air is my absolute favorite. Okay. The here's the negatives on the Air. Uh, it's got a smaller hard drive because it's not. It's a solid state drive. Uh huh. But that makes such a difference in speed. And I don't think 64 gigabytes, which is the starting point of that, is that small. Okay. The screen is a little tiny. It's 11 or 13. I personally think for most people, the base model, 11 inch, which is 9.99, is is a is actually a great little computer. What's the difference so, what, in 13 and the 11-inch in terms, I mean, other than the size? But. Size and price, obviously. Uh, the 13 also has a bigger hard drive, and a, and you can get a faster process. Actually, you can get a faster processor either. Okay. I wouldn't worry about the faster processor. It's not fast enough to notice. Oh. You know, your best bet is, Angela, go to, you're in Sonoma, so you might have to go to Santa Rosa. It's probably your nearest Mac store. Huh? Go to a Mac store huh? and just try the models. You're going to look at the MacBook Air. You're going to look at the MacBook Pro, and you, you're going to have to decide between a 13-inch and a 15-inch screen on the MacBook Pro. You're not worried about speed. The nice thing about the Macs, because there's only one manufacturer, it's a very linear curve between price and performance. It, you can almost say, well, I'm willing to spend this much. Good, that's what you should get. Then you spend exactly, you know, okay. you can almost do it by price. Okay. I, I think you would be very happy with a with a uh, a MacBook Air, I tell you what, it's so light, you could stick it in your purse, you'd hardly notice it's there, and yet it's a full computer. I I just love it. Really? Yeah. So it all it has all the functionality and the whole. Well, here's the one. There are a couple of things it doesn't have. Uh, one, it doesn't have a DVD drive in it. You can buy an external DVD. Okay. I tell you what, think about the last time you used your DVD drive in your computer. Well, actually, you know, I do use it uh, when I teach. I, because I project off of off of it. Okay, then you might want to get if you okay. So you're a teacher and you're using you're going to use it for teaching. Yeah. So that's why you want PowerPoint. Yeah. Um. And okay, so that the air would be fine for that. But if you if you say I want to playback DVDs, you have a choice. You could buy the external DVD drive and just leave it at school, so you're not carrying, you're not schlepping it around. I would. Or that 
Okay, then you then you probably do want to look at a MacBook Pro, which has the DVD drive, and then it's just a question of what screen size you want. Oh, okay. 13, 15, or 17. I don't recommend the 17. It's too big. Yeah, okay. I like the 13. I think the 13-inch MacBook Pro is a nice compromise, and that's a lot. That has bigger hard drives, certainly more powerful. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Angela, my pleasure. What do you teach? Uh, it's um, a sociology class. At, in a, at college level? or? Yeah. That's great. Just so class. And uh, so it's not, it's, you know, that's like one of the things that I do. And then I also do training in a corporate setting. Yeah, I think uh, for things like that, you might want to look at Keynote, which is Apple's PowerPoint. Oh. Um, it's beautiful. How do you Keynote. It's part of the iWork package. It's uh, iWork has uh, a word processor called Pages, and okay. a presentation program called Keynote. And the total of them, uh, well, I think now they sell them on the App Store, so I can't remember what it is, but it's pretty cheap. It's thirty bucks or something like that for okay. each. And I think that they're really, uh, they're really good. And I think uh, might be more. Uh, it'll give you a different look. PowerPoint is, you know, when you, I see a PowerPoint deck, I know immediately PowerPoint. Yeah, it is kind of boring and stuff. Yeah, this will dress it up. The students will go, ooh. <laughs> okay. And, of course, that's what you want, right? <laughs> Give me your attention, please. Angela, great to talk to you. Enjoy your new computer. And if you have any questions, you know where to reach me. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks. Take care. 8888-ASK-LEO. Uh, oh, I should have told her about backup, huh? Well, it's not too late. Uh, this this is uh, my backup solution for laptops. It's an ad, okay? I should say, this is an ad for Carbonite.com. I'm going to give you an ad for Carbonite.com. It's backup done right. Here's why I like it. First of all, automatic. So you put it on your computer, you forget about it. Anytime you're online, it's backing up. And it doesn't back up to a local hard drive, which could be lost, stolen, damaged in a fire, whatever. It's backing up to the internet where it's always available, not just after a disaster, but anytime. You log in on any computer, Mac or PC, to your window, your uh, Carbonite account, and there's your data. You can use, even use a smartphone, BlackBerry, Android, uh, iPhone, it, there's your data. So it's cloud storage plus the best backup out there. And the price is right, too. $59 a year for your internal drive. Now, I want to say that because sometimes people say, well, why can't I put a bunch of external? Well, it's not hundreds of terabytes. You wouldn't want to because you're doing it over the Internet for one thing. It'd take forever. But it's great for backing up the stuff you really don't want to lose on your internal drive, your documents, your My Documents folder, that kind of thing. And it's unlimited. So if you have a big My Documents folder, well, there you go. $59 a year. That's less than $5 a month. But you can try it free for two weeks if you go to Carbonite.com and use my name, Leo. If you decide to buy, use Leo again, and you'll get 14 months for the price of 12 That's a good deal, too. Carbonite. you got to back it up to get it back. So do it right. Because Carbonite. Uh, Bill in uh, Phelan, California. Hi, Bill. The old Laporte, the tech guy. Yeah. Hello, Leo. How are you today? Fantastic on this May Day. I, I wish I had a Maypole to dance around. Ah. <laughs> you uh, asked me to follow up with you. I'm the Planet of the Apes guy, and you had my YouTube uh, thing on about five weeks ago. I remember. Yeah, I, that kind of really gets a little bit of notice with people. It's sort of unusual. Yeah, I love it. Hey, hang on, Bill, because we are going to get to your question, and I'd love to hear more about the Planet of the Apes. Bill acts out scenes from the Planets of the Apes. He even has his own monkey suit. We'll talk about it when we come back. Leo Laporte, the tech guy.
Well, a good day to you. Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. And it's time to talk about computers, the Internet, cell phones, camcorders, you know, all the all the stuff in our life. But I say that uh, stuff. I don't mean to say that the junk that you want to get rid of that clutters your life. I mean the tools, the technological tools we have to change the world. That's the stuff I want to talk about. 8888-ASK-LEO. That's the number to call. If you want to talk about it with me or ask a question or make a comment, make a suggestion, you can also visit our website, techguylabs.com. We'll talk in a little bit. Sony addressed its PlayStation Network uh, hack. The station PSN Network is down right now because somebody broke in and stole everything. And when I say everything, I mean your name and address and credit card information. Actually, we don't know about credit card information, but we'll find out. Uh, I'll give you an update on, uh, on that. But uh, before we go too much farther down the road, I got to get Bill back on the line from Feeling California. Bill does a really interesting uh, thing. He uh, he has the Planet of the Apes gorilla suit. <laughs> you, uh, Chim, I'm oh sorry. Yeah, you uh, you're a dirty ape. Salt and being identified as the wrong species. <laughs> and he has a YouTube channel uh, in which he acts uh, acts out a scene. Uh, I, at the last time I checked, there were only there was only one scene. You got more scenes on there from Planet of the Apes? No, no, I haven't had a chance to get any more up yet because uh, <laughs> I had some other personal concerns I'm dealing with, which I want to talk to you today about. Okay, but uh, what I want to say, Leo, is uh, first of all, as a testament to the power of your show, while we were on last time, while we were actually on the air, I watched eleven people spontaneously subscribe to my YouTube site while we were. <laughs> so they're waiting for another, ta- another <laughs> recording from you. <laughs> a few more things to put up there, but I'm waiting for that uh, Adobe premiere elements that you recommended to me. Ah, Good. Great. Great. Uh, no. Uh, so give it, us a it, plug it was... one more time. As long as you're on where, where we go to YouTube and search for uh, Bill Blake S P F X as in shorthand for special effects. Cause that's what you do. Yeah. So what can I do for you this time around? Well, like I said, I wanted to thank you very much for, for what you did for me. I'm still getting responses from people. They're still emailing me about the last appearance on the show. And uh, I was also inspired by something, too. You had a young man on your show in the third hour named Andrew who was blind and who was looking for a service animal. Right. You had helped him guide him to some sites for fundraising. And he I, actually had a site already set up, and he and he put in a plug, and he has he raised uh, on that show. He raised enough money to buy his uh, or to pay for his service animal. Yeah, well, I took an inspiration from that because, as you know, the last time we talked, I told you about my identity thefts and frauds, which basically oh, that's right, yeah, down to zero. I was right. happy to talk about it last time because, quite frankly, I was embarrassed by it, and then I decided to pull myself up by my pants and say. Why should I be embarrassed? I didn't do this. Somebody else did it. That's I, right. You were a victim. Target. Yep. You know? So what I did was I built a uh, fund over there at GoFundMe, and uh, I'm trying to find out how I can expand my base a little bit and get the word out about it. I mean, other than talking to you about it now, because as you might know, Leo, and as good a guy as you are, I'm sure you probably have some detractors out there in the World Wide Web and I don't know where these people come from or, or, or what their intent is. Sometimes I guess it's jealousy or being envious or whatever. You get detractors when you are a little bit of a public figure. If you put yourself out there, prepare. Yes. 
And I'm having a little bit of that with my fun. Basically, a guy, I think either in New Zealand or Australia, who doesn't know me directly but knows something about me, who's trying to poison my fan base. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. So I'm looking to try and get a little bit more of a wider base to try and get some help because in some of this judicial matters that I have for the identity thefts, these guys were very cagey, Leo. They were very slick, and that's what crooks do. They got this into a kind of a fraud that kind of like kind of steps over the line and becomes more civil than criminal. So it's been hard to bring them to justice criminally. And like O.J. Simpson, like Robert Blake, you'll find the civil suits out there. And I'm pursuing civil suits right now to go after some of the known people to try and get at least a little bit of so former life. Have you, have you set up the site yet? What is the site on GoFundMe? It is. It is uh, oh, let me take a look here. I got, I got it. Hang on one second. I know this isn't good for airtime. It's uh, funds.gofundme.com, and then again, forward slash Bill Blake SPFX. I just use that for everything. So. Yeah, that's actually a good idea. I think if, you're, if you do create a persona on the web of any kind, you want to make it consistent. You don't want to use a nickname in a chat room and then use your real name on Twitter and so forth. So I'm going to send, uh, let's, let's do this for you. At least we'll plug it on the air. You know, getting the word out is a little tough. Uh, I'm certainly coming on a radio show and, and doing it is a good idea. Um, oh, I love this. He's he's at the planet of the. There's a picture of him at the uh, at a planet of the apes fan fest with the, with all of the uh, memorabilia and so forth. That's very cool. That is very cool. If you want to find out more, he's he's actually uh, this is kind of there are a number of sites like this where you you ask for help. Sometimes it will be a service animal or help uh, to in this case sue people who stole from him, and then you offer for the donation levels, you offer uh, gifts. There's another uh, a person in our chat room, Ashley Witt. He's the guy who wrote the uh, Tech Eye theme, who's using a site called Kickstarter, which is another site that does this. Kickstarter's uh, pretty well known, to raise money to produce an album. Now, we've talked before about how much it costs to produce an album. Uh, in the old days, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, so you'd have to go to a record company to do it. It's a lot cheaper now. In fact, uh, Ashley uh, wants to produce this album for Marissa Hollenbeck, her uh, d- debut album. There's a video on here. And merely $5,500. He's already got 61 backers who've pledged more than that. So that's this is so cool. So you could pledge $1, $5, $15. It's the same idea uh, as, uh, as the, uh, as the uh, GoFundMe.com site. Same idea. You can ask people to raise money. So how do you promote this stuff? Well, I would say in general, it's going to be uh, your community of friends and friends of friends. That's where Facebook and sites like that are very handy. You should be promoting it there. Um, if you haven't already proactively built up a community, it's a little hard to do it You know, now. I'm sure that Ash has a lot of, uh, you know, he's a well-known Hollywood composer. He's a lot of other composer friends and so forth. So if you've got a web page, if you've got a Facebook page, if you've got a Twitter account, you have the mechanism to promote something. And what I would say is, for everybody listening, if you've got something to say, something unique, if you are an expert on special effects and Planet of the Apes, or if you're a great composer, or whatever it is, and I would say almost everybody has something that's unique, that's wonderful, that's interesting, something to say, start saying it now. Build the community now. Create the web page. Create the Twitter account, the Facebook page. Now, there's a personal page, that's, and that's certainly, I'm sure you all have that. But you can also create a fan page, and I would hope, Bill, that you have Bill Blake's SPFX 
on Facebook.com. You know, in fact, if you go to Facebook.com slash username, you can claim a, a URL. What you'd like is, what I would suggest is, well, I don't want to say it out loud, but you, you'll know what to do. Uh, I have, for instance, uh, my own personal Facebook page. That's just friends, people I know in real life. But I also have a fan page. I think it's facebook.com slash the Leo Laporte. <laughs> uh, and, and, and that's a place that people who I don't know can go and find out what I'm up to. You want to build that community now. You don't have to be a public figure to do it. But if you, if you ever think you're going to make an outreach, you can't make an outreach until you've made the friends. Community is just a new kind of friendship. It's a, a broader-based friendship, people we haven't met in real life, IRL, but who share an interest. Who share? Who maybe are interested in something that you do, or you sh- you have a common interest? Um, reach out. Uh, you know, I mean, to to give you an analog example, it's a little too late to go to church when you're in need. You might want to start going to church earlier, <laughs> so that when when that time comes, you've got the community, right? You've got the people to help you. Make friends now, and you you could do it digitally too. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Eighty-eight, eighty-eight. Ask Leo. That's the phone number. Uh, let, let, let me see who's next here. It looks like is it Jenna Line Five? Hi, Jenna Leo Laporte. Hello. Oh, I don't know who this is. Who is this on the line? This is Neil. Hi, Neil. What can I do for you today? <laughs> yeah. Hey. Um. I'm. Uh. Before I get to my question, is uh, is Scott Wilkinson still uh, on the line? No. Long gone. I'm sorry. Okay, no problem. Well, let me. He'll be back though. He's going to be back uh, Mar- uh, in a couple of weeks. He'll be either on May twenty first or twenty second, uh, doing a whole three hours. So, if you've got home theater questions, Scott will be taking over. He'll be uh, filling in for me in a couple of weeks. Great. Yeah. Look forward to that. Um, I have a, a Samsung Epic phone from Sprint, and um, I, I love that phone most of it, uh, except. Uh, I have researched and cannot find a program to that, to successfully sync um, Outlook Calendar. I like to use Outlook Calendar um, on my computers, and I would like to upload and download uh, appointments and events from my calendar uh, to and from the computer and, and the phone. And simple I, simple answer on this one, uh, Neil. Uh, and the issue is uh, that you have an Epic, but any Android phone it uses the Google Calendar you know, as this kind of automatic native syncing. So really what you want to do is not sync with the phone, but sync with Google. So if you uh, if you go to Google, or you can even Google this, <laughs> Outlook 
and Google Calendar, they offer a free program you can download that will keep your Outlook synchronized with your Google Calendar. And then you only on any phone, and this is the nice thing about this is as you move from phone to phone, maybe you don't do it as much as I do, but I do it a lot. You just log on to your Google credentials and then automatically the contacts, the you know, the address book, the calendar are just right into the phone. The days of entering by hand phone numbers in your cell phone are long gone. And I, and I have to say, uh, this is a great convenience, even on the iPhone, any smartphone nowadays. Uh, it's nice to have the web-based, the cloud-based Google stuff. So it's not, you know, it's not a bad idea to, tr to get this stuff and synchronize it now with your Outlook. And then you just keep going. It'll just synchronize from now on back and forth. If you change something on the phone, it's automatically updated on Google Calendar. And then when that sync program's run on your desktop, it automatically copies it, copies it into Outlook. That was easy. I need that button. Now it's Jenna. Oh, I'm sorry, I picked up the wrong line. Hi, Jenna. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. You're in San Diego, yes? Maybe I got the wrong Jenna. Hello. Hi, is it Gina or Jenna? Jenna. Hi, Jenna. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. I'm great. Welcome to the show. Leo, I love your show. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> really do. <laughs> I have a dilemma. I hope you can okay. help solve. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, on Facebook, uh, friends post pictures, and occasionally I like to take the pictures and convert them to JPEG and edit them and do a little bit with them. Right. You used to be able to do it. You would just select, right-click, and save as JPEG, but now they're HTM files. Well, that's interesting. Let me look at this because I'm going to do it right now. Save as. So... Yeah, because it's an HTML file, isn't it? That's interesting. Yeah. Now, what I would suggest is, so you were right-clicking, but if you, unless this is disabled by your friends, but if you go over to the left, you'll see uh, some some commands, and one of them is download. So I think, yeah, you can download the JPEG just by clicking that download link. Now, I suppose it's possible your friends disable that. But you know, you're right. You can no longer, it's just how, it, how it's changed. Facebook has changed how they do it. So look over on the photo, look over to the right, and you'll see tag this photo, share. There's a download link right there. It works. Yay! Oh, man. I've spent five hours on this. You're brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it happens to me all the time when they change it, and you just don't think, oh, well, maybe they put a link somewhere. And this is, to me, this is, um, the challenge in general with computers and computer software, and very specifically with Facebook, because Facebook does a whole lot of stuff. They have a very simple interface, but it can sometimes take some digging around to figure out how to do the thing you want. And when they change how it works, uh, that can be problematic. So I, I completely understand. It's just kind of looking around, <laughs> looking around. And it's a, it's a challenge for companies that create this software. I, I've often said Google needs fewer computer scientists and more social scientists. In fact, I think they, they understand that, and they do hire a lot of social scientists. It's not that they don't have good programmers, but they need some people that pay attention to human factors, to user interface, because uh, this is a real challenge. You know, Apple, when they first created the Macintosh, it's some great visionary people there like Alan Kay and Jeff Raskin who knew this. 
who said the problem isn't the complexity of software. The problem is the complexity of user interface and solving this so that you can figure out how to use it. Well, it's only gotten worse, partly because things are more complex than they ever were before, and partly because a lot of the computing we do is on little tiny devices like a cell phone. It's a very complicated, very, you know, you got a lot of stuff in a very small uh, user interface area to, to do it in. So don't feel bad, Gina. I, it's the kind of thing it's easy to miss, but there is a download link. Steven's in Missouri. He's our next caller. Hi, Stephen. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo, the tech-savvy guru. I should add that the part of the problem is that engineers are not humans. <laughs> <laughs> they don't think like you and me. <laughs> well, nobody thinks like me, but that's beside the point. <laughs> uh, what? Leo, you're costing me money, sir. I know I am. I, well, hey, here's the only uh, bright side. Uh, costing me money, too, because i got to buy this stuff, too. You know. Yeah, well, I ended up breaking down and picked up a Droid X last weekend. Oh, how do you like it? Uh, I'm still learning it, and then I bought the Otter Box to cover it. Yeah, now, I like. Oh, did we talk about that? Because somebody was calling and saying they needed something tough for their uh, for their iPhone. Maybe it was an iPad. The Otter Boxes—they're pretty tough, aren't they? Oh yeah, I tell you what—the way it hooks all around it, and well, I, I'm not worried about taking it outside when I'm rolling up tarps and whatnot. Now I'm a truck driver. Okay. Um, I've been—I've got a crappy Bluetooth right now, and I'm actually trying to find. Uh, not overly priced Bluetooth headphones that have a great noise cancellation Ah, and I'm driving down the road. Now, it might be illegal in some states to wear full headphones. You understand that? Well, I can always take and pull one side out. Yeah. The bother me not. Yeah. I use, and I'm very happy with, they're not noise canceling. They're in-ear uh, monitors, so they go deep in the ear, which means they seal out all the other sound. And it's not Bluetooth. It's wired. It's from Edomotix. They are a wired headphone. So you got the phone, you plug it in. Now you're sealing the ears. It's very good quality, and they've got a microphone right there. And frankly, I think they work better than Bluetooth because you don't have the wireless. But if you really want Bluetooth, uh, there are a couple of very good companies. Uh, I like the stuff from Bluant, B-L-U-E-A-N-T.com. They make visor as well as in-ears, uh, and I like uh, Plantronics. But when we come back, I'm going to talk about a special category, which is Bluetooth full headphones, high-fidelity headphones. That's a whole different thing. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. 8888. Ask Leo. Do I have a billboard here? Is this portion of the show brought to you by anybody, Kyle? Anybody? Anybody at all? Oh, good. I like them. This portion of the tech guy show brought to you by my internet service provider. Yeah. You've heard me talk about them. DSL Extreme for high-speed internet at amazingly low prices. Call 866, the number 2. 
GetNet to get DSL Extreme. Everybody wants to know who that is, Kyle. That's that's the woman that we were talking about uh, earlier. Ashley Witt's producing the album, the Kickstarter album. Isn't she good? And Ashley's production is spectacular. He's a guy who did our show uh, theme. He's a uh, Hollywood uh, composer and a very talented guy. He did a really nice job on that. 8888-ASK-LEO. So we were talking with my friend, the trucker, who I think is hung up, unfortunately. But he wanted to find some Bluetooth headphones that he could wear in the cab while he's driving that had noise cancellation. Uh, He could get the music from his phone or the podcast or whatever it is he listens to. Uh, Some very specific recommendations. I did say that I like the Etymotics, um, and I'll find you the number here, the uh, model number. These take some getting used to because they're what's called in-ear headphones, in-ear monitors. So they kind of go, you press them (laughs) into your ear, kind of give you a little uh, gag reflex sometimes. But uh, but because they are sealed in the ear, they're really great for uh, environments where you don't want to hear the noise. I use I wouldn't go on an airplane without them. I just think they're fantastic. Um, they make uh, models that are just standalone headphones that are considered very high end, three hundred dollars standalone headphones. But they also make uh, relatively inexpensive models for your phone uh, that have microphones. So there's the MC3, the HF2, and the HF3. All three of these, they're not Bluetooth, understand. They plug into the phone's audio jack, and they have a microphone. So what they really are is they're a replacement for the mic earbuds that came with your phone that's very high quality. And because they seal out the noise, they're, I think, better than uh, uh, noise-canceling headphones. But you said you wanted noise-canceling headphones, and I can give you those too. These are what I use, and actually I'm very happy with these. They're from Nokia. They're called the BH905s. These are on-the-ear headphones. They look more like stereo headphones, but they're wireless. Actually, they're both wired and wireless, which I kind of like. Uh, so you get a kit with it that includes a wire. So if, you, if you're if uh, you in, in an airplane, for instance, where you can't use Bluetooth because it's a radio transmitter, uh, you can use the wired. If you are on Bluetooth with a phone, you can use these. They have a microphone built in, so you can use them to make phone calls even. But they have great stereo sound and active noise cancellation. You flip the switch, they do the same thing the Bose do and uh, and others. Uh, They cancel. I think I had some Sennheisers that were quite good. These are the ones I like. Really nice headphones. A little pricey, but you know what? Good noise canceling headphones are going to run you about 200 bucks. That's what these cost. I think they list 300. Amazon has them now for 209. That's the Bluetooth Nokia BH905. Now, if you're looking for this kind of thing, here's the standard that you want to look for both in your phone and in the headsets. It's called A2DP. Uh, And what it is is stereo Bluetooth. So there's two kinds of Bluetooth profiles for these earpieces. If you're just getting the little one that, you know, the plugs in your ear and has a microphone on it for the phone, that's called a Bluetooth headset profile. Not high quality. It's mono. It's low quality. Even if you're listening to good quality music, it's going to sound you know, like you're on the phone. And, uh, and so that's not the, the standard that you want to use. There's also a Bluetooth stereo headset, or actually I think they call them Bluetooth stereo headphones. That's A2DP. That means you get stereo, you get left and right, high quality audio. That's what you need both on the phone and in whatever headphones you're going to use if they're wireless. 
I love these. The BH905s are the ones I recommended. I actually went through a whole bunch of different manufacturers. Motorola makes them. Sennheiser, as I mentioned. Um, but these were the ones I liked the best. And again, I want to underscore this. You shouldn't be driving with headphones on. It's it, Not only is it illegal in some states, but even if it's not illegal, it's just dangerous. You can't hear anything. Now, that's one of the reasons I like these Enomotics. So when I'm driving down the road, I just take one ear out. I've got the, micro, the, the side with the microphone on it hanging there, and that's how it's, it's a, that's legal, and that is a, I believe it's legal. You should check local laws, but it's legal at least in California, and that is a Bluetooth, not Bluetooth, a, a hands-free device. And because it's not Bluetooth, it's just, I think the sound quality is better. It's more reliable. And then when I want to hear stereo, I just plug in the other ear. Not while I'm driving. As Captain Kipper is telling me in the chat room, some guy got hit by a train last week because he was wearing headphones and he didn't hear the train coming. Don't wear headphones while you're driving. Stephen in Missouri, Leo Laporte. Oh, no, that was Stephen. So there you go, Stephen. I'm sorry. That was uh, that was my answer. Does that uh, solve your issue? Well, see, the noise cancellation part I was looking for was in the microphone. <laughs> oh, you didn't mean uh, like the Bose noise cancellation. You're like noise-canceling microphone. Got it. The best one that I've used, and see, now this is now a headset. This is not for stereo music, although you could listen to a podcast on it. It just wouldn't sound great. Uh, the one I like the best is the Plantronics. Uh, or actually, you know, the new Bluetooth T1, uh, Blue Ant T1s really do a good job of noise canceling. You're right. If you're in a big noisy cab, you really do need some. Over the visor? Yeah. Too noisy because it picks up the whole cab. Yeah. At least this T1 is right next to your, you know, relatively next to your mouth. These are uh, not too expensive, about 50 bucks. Uh, they're pretty durable. I, they have what they call wind armor technology. So one of the big problems with noise is wind, but they also have their own noise cancellation. Um, I found that these work quite well. Bluetooth, Blue Ant T1. Uh, but this isn't for listening to music. So maybe I misunderstood you. Well, yeah, so I'm going to get something here sooner or later for listening to podcasts and whatever kind of music. I, I don't listen to a whole lot of music. Well, maybe I will now. But um, Well, hey, you know, the other thing to do is to get a stereo head end in your truck that can do A2DP. I have a Ford Mustang that the, 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 the Ford Sync does that. So when I get in the car, the, the phone pairs with the system for phone calls, but also pairs with it using A2DP for stereo audio. And that's really great. This becomes, you know... And I'm not allowed to do that. <laughs> oh, you're not really? That's it. Oh, because the company won't let you modify it. I got it. Right. But I uh, see I've used. Tell the company to get a better head end in the truck. You got to live it. That's this is your office. I know. <laughs> you got to live in there. Man. Get... Usually. Well, all right. So the time. <laughs> yeah. The other thing you can do is, is you know, um, get these headphones and uh, and you can at least uh, you know move one ear off when you're driving and and hear great. I love these 905s. I think they sound they have noise cancellation in the audio playback. I don't think that man maybe they do. They don't think they have particularly have noise cancellation in the mic. And because they don't have an arm, the mic is in is over your ear, so it's kind of distant from your mouth. So I bet you they're a little bit noisy. The best ones I've found so far are these Blue Ant T ones. I really like them. It all it has some other convenience features I like. First of all, it's really small, light. Fairly inexpensive. Uh, I'm seeing it at Amazon for 46 bucks, which is very good for a Bluetooth headset. But uh, it also will walk you through the settings. You press the button, it says, what's your command? You could do uh, voice dialing with it if your phone supports that. It'll tell you, okay, now, you know, here's, it's time to pair with the phone. Press this button, that button. 
it really is kind of nice. The instructions are actually in the earpiece. The guy talks talks you through it. Press zero 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 now and all of that. I like that. So uh, my favorite Bluetooth headset, the Blue Ant T1, my favorite Bluetooth headphones, the Nokia BH905. Leo Laporte, the tech guy, 8888X. Leo, you know where all this stuff shows up? On the website. Well, we don't, you don't have to remember any of this. James DeRuvo is going to write it all down and put it there. He's, he's, at a, he's got the day off today and yesterday, but he'll put it up, put it up as soon as he gets back from uh, wherever he is. So this afternoon, techguylabs.com. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. That's good. Who is that, Kyle? Kyle has such good taste in music. Is that Justin Bieber? Ah, that's a Ford Mustang commercial. Now you know why I'm playing that. I'm a happy Mustang driver. Band of Skulls, they're good. I like that. I I would I didn't recognize it. Didn't know. Kyle Benham is just amazing. Our uh, our engineer today, running the board and picking the music as always. Kyle's doing a great job. Hey Kyle, who's on phones today? Oh, Gina Salvati, welcome back. We missed you, Gina. She's a traveling girl. She went to, did you go to Egypt again this time? Alexandria. How fun. And Cairo. That's a brave thing to do given, you know, the kind of, they're in the midst of a revolution right now. Must have been very interesting. She says it was very peaceful. So Gina Salvati on phones, you say hi to her. And Shokran when you call in. 8888 ask Leo. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Ted is in Garden Grove, our next caller. Hey, Ted, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Yeah, hi, Leo. Hey, Ted. Can you hear me all right? I hear you fine, sir. Okay, the reason I say that is because I'm using one of those little cheap plug-in things on my phone. Oh, there you go. I, you know, everybody likes Bluetooth because there's no wires and everything, but Bluetooth has its issues. It drops out sometimes. Sometimes the audio quality is not great. I really like you know, wired headsets. I think they do a great job. They're convenient. They're easy. You never drop out. Usually the quality is better, too. So you sound fine, Ted. What can I do for you? Uh, it's my job as a caller to make the host look good. So That's according to Rush. Uh, so that's what I'm going to do is I'm going to make you look good, I hope. Rush is the only guy in the world with enough guts to say that. <laughs> the rest of us just hope you'll make us look good. <laughs> Please make me look good. Well, how are you going to make me look good now? Uh, I like to listen to you on the radio. I don't watch you much. Right now, I'm watching you on uh, Twit Live. And Thank you. Hello. Hello. Hey, what is with the coffee cup? Are you in Jackie Gleason style or something? I am. You know, I remember very well when I used to watch the Jackie Gleason show. I was a kid. And uh, he always had a coffee cup 
at the beginning of the show, he'd sit down in his armchair at the, on the stage and he'd drink his, he'd take his first sip of coffee and go, Ooh! and of course the implication was that there was something else in there besides coffee. No, this is just coffee, really, honest. <laughs> well, I know you think one red, one blue, or black. Oh, yeah. Well, one's water, one's coffee. Oh, <laughs> okay. See, and you thought it was, you know, some secret cabal. Oh, good stuff. <laughs> mm. ah, remember Crazy Guggenheim, the bartender on there? What a great show that was. God, yes, that was. Yeah, Art Carney. I remember <laughs> when he when he passed away, I you know, I just, the world really lost a great showman. Yeah, and I think uh, it's been so long now, I think really um, there's a whole generation that has no idea who we're talking about when we say Jackie Gleason. I think some people have seen The Honeymooners. But I don't think the Jackie Gleason show, which was his variety show, was in reruns. There were so many great variety shows in the in the seventies and sixties. Uh, I'm thinking of the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour in the, the late sixties, uh, Jackie Gleason show, Red Skelton show, and uh, nobody watches. Nobody does variety shows, so there's no market for reruns in them. And I, there was such talent in there. Some of these you can get on DVD still. That's where I love. I think the internet is such a boon. You can go on YouTube and find anything, including Jackie Gleason, if you're looking. You left out uh, one of the ladies, Carol Burnett. The great Carol Burnett show. Oh. But I, see, I think she is remembered. I don't know why, but I think of all of them, I think she is best remembered by this generation. Anyway, oh, yeah. I- Somebody just said in the chat room, how sweet it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that was his trademark. So anyway, enough memory lane, Ted. Uh, we've established the fact that we are old timers now. Well, I'm, I'm probably older than you are, but you look older than me. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Didn't Rush said you're supposed to make me look good? <laughs> Your shirt that you're wearing today, and uh. you don't like this? It's a little uh, florid. I wanted to celebrate. It's the first day of May. That's right. Yeah, it's a little fruity. Oh. Fruity? Hey! <laughs> what? <laughs> These aren't fruits. They're flowers. Hold on. Well, anyway, I, you're right. It's a little uh, flamboyant, but I like it. Yeah. Okay. That's was to make you look good. Uh, okay. Yes. So far, you're doing a lousy job, I might add. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> I bought a Mac about a year ago, and okay, switched from uh, PCs. I've had PCs, you know, my entire life, and I'm not really, really real tech savvy, but fair. Uh, and uh, I was looking for some security for my system. I got my, my Carbonite backup, and I hate you talking about this Nod 32, and uh, then. You mentioned that the ESET also has the Mac backup. So I said, okay, fine. I went out. I bought it. Uh, got not, it. not backup. It's an antivirus. Yes. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and I, so I, I got it installed, and I did the, uh, the computer scan, which took quite some time. Uh, then I came up with a thing that said, up a window drop down, says, uh, we're done, and you have 93 viruses. What do you want us to do with them? What? No. Yeah. No. What do you mean, no? You don't have 93 viruses. Well, it said that it, it had found 93 problems. The only thing I could think of you'd have on a Mac yeah. is tr- is a tracking cookie. No, unfortunately, I have to say this. Uh, it's unfortunate, but because people, when you buy security software, you want it to do something. Here's the problem. There are no viruses for the Mac. So a lot of times... What antivirus companies, they do it on Windows, they do it on the Mac, too, will do is flag other potential problems as a problem so that you know it's doing something. And in most cases, it's a tracking cookie. 
There is no way you have 93 anything serious on a Mac because there is not, there is zero goose egg, none. So almost certainly what that is telling you is your 93 cookies, tracking cookies on your Mac. And I bet you when you erase them, they come right back. Well, I didn't, I, I failed to leave a little bit of uh, data in there because I had used the uh, PCs for so many years. I ended up. Well, it could be if you had some P, you know, here's, it is possible. One of the, a good thing for a, a Mac antivirus to do would be to detect PC viruses just so you don't accidentally pass them on. You can't get them. But if you've got email from uh, the, you know, people, in fact, that's probably what it is. You've got email from people that has a virus on it. It's not going to infect you on the Mac, but it's a good thing to catch it before you pass it on. Right. Uh, the, the thing that I was, that I failed to tell you was that I have boot camp in parallel. On oh. Was it scanning the boot camp partition? Uh, yes, it was. Ah, so it's boot camp that's got it. There you go. Found out later when I called because I couldn't do anything with the, what they had found. I, I you can't scan and clean a Windows partition on a Mac. You have to get the Windows version of Nod32 to do it. No. Uh, we went, I went through that with ESET, and actually you can because we did you can? it. can? Uh, but it took us nearly three. I was on the phone with the guy for nearly three hours. Obviously, the tech support guy had the same thought I did, which is that you can't. So that's interesting. How do you do it? What you have to do is when you boot up, uh, you hold down. I have a uh, an Alt key because I got a Microsoft keyboard, but you hold down the Alt key as as it's booting up, and what it'll do is it'll pop up three different windows in front. Right. Of, well, three different excuse me hard drives. Right. This is how boot camp works. You hold down the Option key. You choose what you're going to boot. So you boot into which Windows or Mac? No, I booted into Boot Camp. That's where it was. Yeah, that's so. That's gonna be that's gonna be the Windows partition. Then we then we went through the uh, the deletion portion of it, and the, everything worked fine. But apparently, this is this is a problem that uh, they had never seen before. Because I, well, I, I, they spent every three hours. It's a problem that guy. It's a problem that guy had not seen before. I mean, that's exactly what I would have told you had you called me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they, you have to be in Windows to clean it up, and that was kind of my my point was that you can't clean the viruses from the Mac partition because it it can't see the Windows partition. You have to clean it from the Windows yeah. partition. Probably what he ended up doing is putting the Windows version of Not Thirty Two on there. That's exactly well. What he did is he, he got onto my screen. Um, he did. He he used Not. They have an online scanner too. That's yeah. the issue. Is the, the real? You know, you got ninety three problems, but a virus ain't one. You, you, they're all Windows problems. I think it's ironic that you, you're running the Mac and it's fine. You're running the cybersecurity for the Mac, which is a great product. It finds viruses where on the Windows side, but you, I'm pretty sure and I'll have to check. I'll check with my friends at Nod32, but I, I'm pretty sure you then have to use the Windows. So you can't, when you're running a uh, Mac, you can't see what's going on in the bootcamp partition. It doesn't, I don't, I don't believe it's visible to you. So no, you need, you need to go into Windows, which is what you did when you held the Option key down. And then probably, I would guess, in fact, I'm sure you have to run the Windows product to clean the Windows side. Leo Laporte, the tech guy.
Well, hello there, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. And time to talk about all the cool things that are changing our worlds. Computers, the internet, cell phones, camcorders, MP3 players, home theater, all that cool stuff. 8888-ASK-LEO. That's my number. You got a question, comment, suggestion? If you'd like to uh, ask for some hand-holding on the information superhighway, I'm here for you, baby. 888-827-5536. You know, you don't have to remember that. Just remember our website, techguylabs.com. Everything's there, including a link to our chat room, our link to our live video stream, our audio stream, archived shows for the last 765 episodes. This is episode 766. Yes, it is. And uh, we will have notes from this show and yesterday's show up uh, a little later today. James uh, DeRuvo, who does that, is uh, taking uh, the weekend off to be with his family. And I admire that. Someday I'll do that. <laughs> 88, 88. <laughs> nice job, James. Ask uh, Leo. That's the phone number. Uh, I was reading an article on Wired Magazine. Uh on the website, wired.com, shed a tear. This is Ryan Single writing, shed a tear. The age of broadband caps begins Monday. What's he talking about? Well, it's, uh, something we've talked about many times before. Starting tomorrow, AT&T will begin restricting more than 16 million users based on the amount of data they use in a month. That's a broadband cap. If you're a DSL subscriber to AT&T, 150 gigs limit. If you're a Uverse subscriber, which is AT&T's uh, half-fiber solution, uh, 250 gigs. Of course, Comcast is already doing that, 250 gigs. These guys, the big guys, and some smaller guys too, but it's mostly the big guys, uh, say they have to do this because of bandwidth hogs. They say 99% of you will never use anywhere near that much. Well, I uh, I disagree. I don't think it has anything to do with bandwidth hogs. I think their networks are perfectly capable of handling the traffic. And if not, well, they should spend some money and upgrade them because there's plenty of bandwidth. The issue is not that. These guys are protecting their business. Not against bandwidth hogs, but against you and me. Because as we continue to watch more content online... We are starting to eat into their business. Uver sells, besides phone and data, they sell television. Comcast is a, a cable company. These guys are terrified of us watching HBO online instead of on Comcast, of us downloading movies from iTunes, of renting movies from Amazon. This is what they're afraid of. Of you watching me, and I send out a high-quality video stream, instead of watching their paid services. They don't want you using too much bandwidth. Now, it's one thing on a, on a wireless uh, system, a wireless carrier, because uh, you know there is more limited bandwidth. They have to get the bandwidth to you through limited airwaves. They've got a, 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 a connection to their head end, the cell tower, and that connection shared by all the users. I understand there's some limitations there. But, uh, but the physical plant, the landlines, there's a, there's a ton. A ton of bandwidth out there. We're not using it. We're not anywhere near capacity. And they may say, yeah, it costs us more. Well, it might cost them a little more. It doesn't cost them that much more. The caps are not about that, in my opinion. The caps are absolutely about competing in the future because they see this coming. 
they're afraid that we're going to start watching more and more TV and video and movies on on their inexpensive data connections instead of their expensive television cable connection. Ah, it's um, it's something we need to fight. To be honest, now the good news is, and by the way, there are many countries that are worse. Australia, there are people who cannot watch my live video or even download my podcast because the caps are so low. Canada caps are generally much lower. We're talking 50 gigabytes and less. But believe me, this this is just the first salvo in this battle, and I'm sure that AT&T and Comcast will go down lower than 250 and 150. I think even lower. They really don't. These big companies want to control the Internet. They want to make sure you do exactly what they want you to do on the Internet, nothing else. All that YouTube viewing, eh, it's costing them money. Hey, wait a minute. That's what I'm paying for the Internet for. That's why I give you 60 bucks a month, Comcast, for Internet access, so I can watch YouTube and Netflix and iTunes. That's why. And and if I want to listen to Leo Laporte or any other radio show, or if I want to watch streaming video on Ustream or Justin TV, I, then I, that's what I'm paying for. Well, the good news is that there are plenty of independent internet service providers who do not have caps. Seek one out. <laughs> Competition is a solution to this. The problem is that, unfortunately, in many areas, you don't have a choice. You see either your phone company or your cable company, and that's that. And so, of course, they can do these things. Easy for them. It's no, it's no accident that the cap is, so, you know, that AT&T and Comcast are both doing this. AT&T watched Comcast do it, and they said, oh, yeah, good idea. We'd like to do that, too. A smart move. So if you ask me, the solution to this is not government regulation. I understand people don't like the idea of the FCC regulating net neutrality. That's what this is about. Uh, okay, you don't like it, then then here's what you should do. Get the government to foster competition. A free market will will solve this. The problem is we don't have one. We only have a very limited number of choices, and they're colluding. Get three or four more Internet service providers in your town, and you won't have to worry about this. You'll be able to say to Comcast or AT&T, okay, fine, you want to have caps, see ya. And it, watch how, how quickly they change their tune. 8888-ASK-LEO. John in, uh, I'm going to try to get this right, John, Squenta, Alaska? Am I, it's, is, am, I, am I saying that right, Squenta? Squentna. Squentna. Hi, John, where is Squentna? Uh, about 60 miles northwest of Anchorage. Are you in the, in the, you are in the Great White North? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How's the internet access in Squentna? Uh, well, you can get, the big satellite dish, and it's pretty spendy, and they have a on, well, sort of dial-up with stationary cell phone, and um, it's a little faster so, than dial-up, but not much. It, it's not great, in other words. No. You would be thrilled to be able to use 150 gigabytes a month. Oh, no. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> you would be so happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, in fact, I see it says you're off the grid, so you do your own power. Do you have a generator or solar? How do you get your power? Well, a generator with inverter system and batteries and solar. Okay. Charge. That's why I was interested in power consumption. Right. 
So the good news is the state of California, well, maybe good news for you anyway, the state of California is starting to uh, set standards for power consumption, even in plasma TVs. And I expect that all of the television manufacturers are going to get much uh, more uh, conservative in how they use power. But right now, plasmas are the big power suckers. LCDs are not too bad. I don't know brand-wise who offers the most conservative power use. Hmm. Um, and I would be nice if they would publish that information. I don't know if they do. Maybe uh, maybe our uh, chat room can help out. But certainly stay away from plasma at this point. Although, because the state of California is creating those regulations, I think all of the manufacturers are going to have to respond to that. Yeah, I, was, I heard about the California thing. but Yeah. And so L, an, L, an LCD is going to be less than your CRT. It's going to be the lowest possible consumption. Okay. And LED backlit, which is pretty much all you can get these days, are better because they're using LEDs instead of fluorescents. Yeah. So any LED-based LCD TV should be pretty, pretty power conservative. It's an interesting uh, issue. You know, most of us in the lower 48 just kind of don't even think about that. Maybe we should. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Way too young to remember this. Gleason, <laughs> the Honeymooners. Yeah, with see the it is. Art the Honeymooners, which everybody remembers, I think, uh, is that half-hour show with Art Carney and Jackie Gleason. It was really a small little port of the Jackie Gle- part of the Jackie Gleason show. And away we go. I am Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Thanks, YouTube, once again. I'll tell you, though, you know, um, YouTube will pull a lot of that stuff down. It's kind of unfortunate. YouTube has the opportunity to be this archive, this amazing archive of everything that's ever been videoed or filmed or recorded and just uh, a library of Congress for video. But unfortunately, uh, Google really... um, I think for maybe for political reasons, for legal reasons, I'm not sure, but they really have come down on the side of the content creators. It's a pendulum. It's a pendulum. I understand it swings both ways. On the, on the one side, you have the big movie companies, the record industry, the people who sell the content, create the content. And on the, on the other side, you have the public interest, you and me. And it, and it swings back and forth. But right now, the pendulum has swung way over towards the movie industry, the record industry, the content creators. And even though you cannot make an argument in any way that most of the stuff, this copyrighted stuff, uh, has any real value to these companies anymore, they still, uh, Google will just just pulls it down automatically. They have a, a, a detection system, an automated detection system, that as soon as they uh, you know, detect the thumbprint of copyrighted material, they just pull it down. There's a right of appeal, but it doesn't. it's not very effective. And really, Google doesn't, I guess, want to take the chance of getting sued. And so they just err on the side of the copy content uh, creators, their copyright holders. But isn't there a public interest, too? Don't we have an interest? I mean, when I just described YouTube as being the ultimate, the library of Congress for all video ever made, 
doesn't isn't there a certain value in that to us as a society to kids growing up who haven't seen those shows who might be inspired by them build upon what they learn from watching them isn't there a value there that is a value to us as a as a society and shouldn't that be weighed with the interests of the copyright holders particularly when you can't make a case that there's any value to this content they're just doing it cuz they can And it happens an awful lot. And it also steps on, uh, to be honest, steps on uh, my business because I do news programming. This is news programming. This covers, uh, you know, stories. And um, if I put a video up on YouTube of this show, or I do 30 different shows, one of the shows, and I have in that video a clip. Let's say I show a clip from the Royal Wedding uh, to talk about how the tweets, how many thousands of tweets there were, or the technology of the hats, I don't know, but it's somehow in a news context, and I put that clip up. The owner of that clip can have that pulled down automatically, and it's very difficult to appeal it, even though it is legal to do it. It's it's uh, for purposes of news commentary. I'm not, and I'm not showing a long clip. I'm showing a small portion of it. It's not, there's no actual damage to the content holders. In fact, if anything, you can make a case, it promotes the content holders. It, it reminds people, this is where you could have watched that. But, uh, you know, Google doesn't make the distinction. And unfortunately, YouTube very much uh, leans uh, towards the right of the content holders. Every, I understand there's interests on both sides, but let's not forget that there's a, a very big public interest that is being ignored. 8888-ASK-LEO. That's the uh, phone number. Back to the phones we go, John. Oh, well, we were talking to John and Squenta, and I think we answered the question. LCD TVs are the least uh, power-hungry. I suspect that with the EPA... Energy Star ratings, you can, in fact, on TVs even, find out what the energy consumption will be before you buy. Justin in Illinois, you're next. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hey, Leo. Hey, Justin. How's it going? Very well. What can I do for you today? Um, well, I just had a question. Um, I uh, got. I just wanted to know what's the best, maybe possibly cheapest way to like encrypt jump drives in order to make them secure. My favorite, it's both the best and the cheapest. It's called TrueCrypt, T-R-U-E-C-R-Y-P-T, at TrueCrypt.org. It's free. Oh. And in, in my opinion, uh, if you want to trust encryption, it's best to use open source software like TrueCrypt. Why? Because how it works is publicly viewable. So they the code that they're using to do it can be reviewed by a security expert, by the public, by you, anybody who understands it, and and it can be verified that there are no government backdoors, for instance, that it's using true, strong encryption and it's implementing it correctly, all of that. So you can use a, a commercial, proprietary, closed-source uh, encryption engine, but you've got to trust that the company that wrote it knows what it's doing, and there is no review process. TrueCrypt is open source, so it's it's free and can be reviewed. In fact, does a great job. So for uh, encrypting hard drives, thumb drives, um, folders, or the whole drive, it's a really good choice. Now, your operating system probably does have a choice uh, in there. Windows has uh, BitLocker, and uh, there's the Vault, the File Vault on OS X. Problem is, they're not cross-platform, and uh, so if you you know if you're using a Mac and you use File Vault. And then you try to hand that drive off to somebody else, it can't ever open it on a Windows machine. So that's why I like TrueCrypt. It's cross-platform, works everywhere. 
uh, you know, all, all they have to have is the passphrase, use a strong passphrase, and you're golden. Hey, speaking of golden, I do want to mention, we were talking about Nod32. God, this is such a good program. I want to make sure everybody gets a chance to use it. So we're going to give you 30 days free of the best antivirus out there for Windows and Mac. There's cybersecurity, ESET's cybersecurity for the Mac, which, uh, of course, includes a very fast, very uh, lightweight, but very effective scanning engine that's also a Nod32 antivirus on Windows. And you can try either one free for 30 days. Go to ESET.com slash Leo for the Windows version. ESET.com slash Mac for the Mac version. This is the antivirus you want. Or you can call 866, toll free, 866-935-ESET. Just mention me, please. 866-935-ESET. And don't forget to like ESET USA on Facebook because you'll stay looped in on contests, special offers, some exclusive content. These guys are really brilliant. Brilliant programmers, very adept at security, and they make, simply put, the fastest, best, most effective, lightweight antivirus in the industry. Nod32 for Windows. If you use Windows, you need Nod32. Cybersecurity for the Mac. ESET.com slash Mac for the Mac. ESET.com slash Leo for the uh, Windows version. 30 days free. Free. Uh, let's see. Who's next here? Ray in San Diego. Hey, Ray, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hey, Leo. Hey, Ray. I'm doing good. How are you? Very well. What can I do for you? Uh, yeah, I just have a question. I have a really old system that I'm still running <laughs> Windows 2000 on, uh, Windows 2000 Professional. Time to update. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. I'm just wondering, would you suggest Windows XP or should I? No, no. Just go straight to Windows 7. Okay. Uh, first of all, uh, XP is about to be end of li- end of life t- as 2000 was. That means you don't get updates. Uh, I think they got another year on XP. There's no reason to go to the older version. Seven is so good, so su- so much more secure, uh, just far superior. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. It's a little bit funny, this feeling inside. I'm not one of those who can easily hide. I don't have much money, but boy, if I did, I'd buy a big house where we both could live. Leo Laporte, the tech guy, 8888 Ask Leo. This portion of the tech guy show is brought to you by Carbonite.com. You got to back it up to get it back. So do it right with Carbonite. C A R B O N I T E.com for Mac or PC. Just make sure you use my name, Leo, when you sign up for that free 15 day trial. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. David in Tampa, Florida. Thanks for calling 8888 Ask Leo. What can I do for you today? Hi, David. Leo, I'm embarrassed to ask this question. 20-year tech guy here, but uh, I've got a Galaxy, Samsung Galaxy Pro tablet, which I love, um, and I'd like to be able to print to it. However, my Dell V17 or 715W is not supported under that. The Lexmark equivalent is not supported under that, and um, I don't have a, a computer um, 
turned on attached to it. So I was hoping maybe you can tell me, is there a, is there a way to turn that into like a cloud printing device or do I just need to look for different? Yeah. Um, the, this is a common problem with tablets in general, the iPad first of all, and then of course the, all the uh, smartphones and so forth. I think the, the reason is that these companies just kind of don't expect you to want to print. The whole idea of a tablet is to eliminate paper, right? Um, they do on Android. I guess the tab has a print search screen. Is that right? It, does, it is correct, and it does see it, but it's not. Uh, it doesn't have the drivers. And you know, I could try to go in and hack the thing, but I'm afraid I'm end up with a useless tablet. Yeah. Funny thing is, I spend more time finding. I'm spending more time on that than anything else. I know. This is actually, I think, what happened unexpectedly to the tablet manufacturers is people are using them all the time as their computers, and so of course we want to print. Apple's somewhat responded to that with the iPad by putting in a printing capability that doesn't work very well and only works with HP printers. There are a lot of third-party apps. I do not know, maybe the chat room does, what the best way to print from uh, a, a, an Android tablet is. Uh, I would guess there are apps that do that. And now Google also has this thing called Google Cloud Print uh, that might be a good solution. I haven't tried it, but it would certainly be worth looking into. Um, I think it's their, this is their response to uh, this issue um, is to cloud. So here, so if you go to, if you, if you look up Google uh, cloud print, it explains how you connect a printer to it. Um, in fact, uh, I think you have to be running Chrome attached to a printer on the computer, physically attached, and then you can download a plug-in or something that will, yeah, I think you'd install, let's see, it says start with it by installing Chrome to connect your printer. So it sounds like it prints through Chrome. And then you can use mobile apps to print. And it talks about, the. it says it could print to your cloud-ready printers, which means not every printer. Oh, oh, I get it. So if you're printing via a Wi-Fi printer, you need to have a, you know, a, a printer that could be on the network via itself, via Wi-Fi or wired. But you can also... Use Chrome to print to shared printers on a Mac or a PC. So there are two ways to do it: print through a shared printer. Nice thing about a shared printer is the driver is on the PC, and so you you know all you have to do is get it to work with Cloud Print. All right. And then apparently, uh, depending on the printer, if it's a if it's a Cloud Print compatible printer, you would print to the email address of the printer. Believe it or not, otherwise you'd use Google Chrome and a Cloud Print connector that would uh, would do the printing. I haven't tried this. But uh, this is this is Google's solution that they created for their Chrome OS as well. Because remember, they're making laptops that don't have an operating system, don't even have printing built into them. So they need to have some way of printing that just uses, you know, the network and the internet to do it. So I would guess that would be the best bet on a Samsung Galaxy Tab as well. Very good. Well, thanks so much, Leo. Yeah, I'm sorry I don't can't be more specific than that. I haven't tried it. See, I always try to figure out how to use these devices without printing. And to me, that's the whole point is that we can put our documents on there and read them we don't have to print them um you know you can carry you can carry all your paper on the tablet but i understand there's a lot of reasons you still need to print i'll give you an example uh still many airlines require a printed boarding pass more and more though are allowing you to have the boarding pass on your phone i uh i took a flight a couple of months ago where you could have the boarding pass on your smartphone and they had a special scanner at the uh, access point through the security line where they would just scan it and say, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. I'd love to get rid of all this paper.
Isn't that isn't that the point? Get rid of the paper. Ed in Columbus, Ohio, you're next. Hi, Ed. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Leo. How are you? Very good. Very good. Good. Question for you. Um, okay. I'm considering getting an iPad 2. And um, one of the things that I would love to be able to do with the iPad is to be able to do a presentation where I can hook up an LCD projector to the iPad and project that on a large screen. So what you want to do is put it, the you want to put the iPad on the projector or do you want to connect it via the uh, the video port? I want to put the iPad on the projector to project on a large screen. Oh, that's interesting. That's how, you know, a lot of these projectors used to work. You'd have an LCD screen and you'd you put on the on the you know the projector and it would just project it. Nowadays you don't have to do that, you know, because they all, Apple offers, especially on the iPad 2, an HDMI adapter that plugs in to the uh, iPad's 30-pin port and then has HDMI out that you can just put up on the screen. And finally, they've added mirroring so you can see everything on the iPad, not just in the individual application outputs. Yeah, and, and that that's fantastic, and that makes sense. But what I really need, I know, like, you can put Keynote on iPad, so you can do right. a presentation right. on the iPad. What I need, though, is like a Bluetooth remote that would advance the keynote presentation. So you don't have to stand next to the iPad. Exactly, exactly. And I've Googled the uh, Bluetooth remote that works with the iPad, and I'm seeing that there's a lot of difficulties with it, and there doesn't seem to be a good Bluetooth remote that works seamlessly with the iPad. And I just wondered if you had any suggestions or even the, the chat room, if they had anything that, that would be a good Bluetooth. Remote. Well, you think, you think Apple would have, that's a really good idea. Apple would have made a remote. You can use your iPhone if you have an iPhone. Yeah, that's true. And I don't, unfortunately. <laughs> the, um, get an iPhone and an iPad and they'll work. Yeah, why do you think Apple did it that way? <laughs> it makes sense. Double the sales. Yay. Um, I'm, I guess an iPod Touch would also be able to do that. Oh, um, okay. you have an iPod Touch, so maybe. Oh, well, then there you're okay. Yeah, you just use remote on the iPod Touch. You have to be on the same Wi-Fi network. Okay, all right. Well, that that actually works really well. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. And I'll, I'll, I'll chat room, correct me if I'm wrong, or uh, if you if you have any additional help for uh, for Ed. I really love the idea. In fact, I've done some presentations now on the iPad. What I do is I create a keynote presentation on my Mac, export it to the iPad. There are some differences, so I have, you have to do a little bit of cleanup. Uh, but then I have the keynote presentation on my iPad, and I I like the swiping and everything. I like being able to, to hold the iPad. But, of course, you'll have to be close enough so that the cable can reach your projector. Um, oh, Locke says maybe that that uh, iPod Touch remote app does not work on Keynote. That would be disappointing. Uh, but then I do have a link, smart chat room, for Philip SC in the uh, chat room to a remote for Keynote uh, in the App Store. I will try to uh, figure this one out. Oh, yeah, that's the Apple remote uh, app. Okay, so Apple does make specifically an app to control Keynote. So if you're going to use Keynote, uh, then you can use this 99 cent uh, app from Apple. I did download this now. I, I remember it. One of the nice things about using this app is you can see your presenter notes on the app, which is great. 
You can if you're doing it directly from the iPad. You have to just show the slide because that's what people are seeing. But if you're using the Keynote app on the iPod Touch, you'll get the presenter notes. You can, or you can see the next slide. Same kind of features you have on a desktop computer when you're using a Keynote. I like that. 8888 Ask Leo. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Tech Guy, waning minutes of the Tech Guy show for this May Day 2011. A reminder that you can find this show. Somebody asked in the chat room, why don't you put the audio up on the internet? Uh, we do. First of all, there's 144 stations that carry this show. Most of them stream it live on the internet. Many of them have podcast versions of the show. And if you can't find it on your local station's website, you can always go to the Tech Guy Lab site. We have every one of the 766 episodes, minus a few rerun shows, uh, up there. It takes us maybe a few days to get the shows up. So, Check later in the week. You'll find our episode at techguylabs.com. And uh, you all, we also put it on the Twit website. Twit is my podcast network. We do a bunch of shows on a lot of topics. Windows, Mac, security, open source software, Google and the cloud. Uh, and, of course, our flagship show, This Week in Tech. You'll find it all at twit.tv. Or just Google the word twit. Yeah, go to this works really well. I'm going to put this in my business card. Go to google.com, enter TWIT, twit, and press I'm feeling lucky and I pop up. Wow. How did we do that? 8888 Ask Leo. Meanwhile, and uh, Andrew in uh, Riverside, California, you're next. Hi, Andrew. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Leo. Um, I'm a podcaster, and I called you about two years ago, actually, now. And I'm now wondering, how do you get more people to find your show? Yeah, good luck. <laughs> it, it, one of the reasons I still do a radio show <laughs> is because I, I, you just heard me do it. I plug the podcast on the radio show. Podcasts, I love podcasting. I love the notion of podcasting because uh, it really is democratizing. It means you don't have to uh, uh, persuade somebody to put you on the air. There, you know, there's how many? I don't know how many radio stations there are in the country. Maybe thousands, tens of thousands. But you know, it's a limited number. Not everybody gets a chance to have a show. It took me a long time to persuade somebody to give me a shot when I first came out of school because, well, frankly, I wasn't very good. Podcasting gives everybody the chance, no matter what they have to say, to have a voice to distribute it, not just regionally, not just nationally, but globally. And if you're saying something that people are interested in, I think you can find an audience. But it's the same question as how do I market my website, my new book, my new album, my YouTube video. You've got to build a community around what you do. And if you don't have one already, then go to a similar community, participate. I would do it even if you don't have a podcast now, folks. If you don't have a website now, still get out there. Put yourself out there. Until you're participating in the outside world, you can't expect the outside world to participate in what you're up to. You can't just build it. And hope they will come. So what? Or you can call me and I'll plug it for you. What's your podcast, Andrew? That's uh, otrwesterns.com. Oh, I got your email the other day. What a great idea! So there is a there are a number of uh, old time radio podcasts, but you focus on Gunsmoke and the other westerns. 
Yeah, and I actually do 10 shows a week. So I'm the only podcast that's actually doing a daily show, bringing back the old-time radio westerns. Now, are the shows just the old-time radio shows, or do you have other stuff on there, commentary, things like that? I, I do put in the original air date, which a lot of the old-time radio shows that are out there now don't even put the original air date when it came out. And if there's something important that I find, let's say the voice of you know Fred Flintstone, I'll throw a clip in about Fred <laughs> I mean, That's awesome. That's awesome. So, yeah, I try so, put a lot more information if I can out there. So the thing to do is there is a very vibrant and alive old-time radio community. And, uh, you know, one would hope, since obviously this is a passion of yours, that all along you've been participating. Yeah. Uh, and, and so they'll know you. They'll say, oh, Andrew Rhymes, he's doing that. Oh, yeah, I like Andrew. Oh, he's doing old-time radio. Oh, that's great. So that's where you, where you do. You go back to that community. You go to their forums, websites. You, you participate. You don't just go on there and plug. You participate. And then they will look upon you with favor and potentially uh, uh, start listening to your podcast. I see you're on Twitter. That's very good. Uh, it's OTR Westerns on Twitter if somebody if people want to follow you. That's also, I think, a very good idea. You could have used your name. You could have used Andrew. But I think it was smart if you're trying to promote OTR Westerns to, to use that. Yeah, I have a personal Twitter, but I try to keep, you know, and want to keep OTR Westerns, you know, it's everything that ever comes out about the show. And I even do videos. All like this last uh, couple of weeks, I've been doing the old Bonanza series. So That's great. And I think, I think adding as much value to it as you can is also a good idea. So I presume you have, you have or maybe you don't, do you have a blog on the website? Oh, we just brought your site down. My apologies. <laughs> I'm not so Oh, well. <laughs> that's good <laughs> email's going a little crazy with a twitter request which is actually really <laughs> that's good so you just learned one of the best ways to do such a thing is to come on a radio show but this isn't maybe the ideal place i, I would find an old-time radio show you gotta it's you know it's there's nothing to replace the old-fashioned you know marketing you gotta burn some shoe leather you gotta get out there virtually and uh, and spread the word and uh, you do that by going to the places where people who might be interested in what you have to say hang out. The good news is that's easier for you than a lot of people because old-time radio has a very active community, so it's easy to participate. Yeah, So, and, and of course the next thing is trying to find advertisers. And I was talking with PodTrack, and they go, well, you need more listeners. So it's like, okay, now I'm getting a little... It's a, yeah, it's Catch-22, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, you know, that's what I. Nobody, nobody, nobody should do this trying to make a living, uh, because it's 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 still at the hobby stage. Um, you know, I've I've made a living doing this. Although notice, I kept my day job, um, but that was because it was a unique confluence of things. You know, I came off of a cable channel that built my identity. I've been doing this for a long time. That's part of it. I've been doing tech talk on TV and radio for twenty years. So in effect, I've been building that brand in that community for 20 years. So you can't just uh, march in and say, hey, Leo's doing it, I should do it too. I encourage you to do it, but be realistic about it. You don't expect to make a lot of money or maybe even any money. Uh, do it because you love it. Do it because it's your passion. And the truth is, uh, it, you know, look, I <laughs> just because it's democratized doesn't mean you don't have to put in the work. You, Yes, it's true, you don't have to get there's no gatekeepers. You don't have to get the permission of uh, somebody else to do it. You just do it. But that doesn't mean you don't have to put in the work and the time. And it may take many years of building your chops, of building your reputation, of creating community. It doesn't happen overnight. Overnight success takes years. 
<laughs> Absolutely. But good luck. And of course, you can always call me and I'll be glad. Uh, you know, I like to share the wealth. Thank you, Andrew. Good luck. OTRWesterns.com. Hey, before I get to the next call, and that's coming up in just a second. In fact, uh, I'll tell you, I'm going to talk to Danny in Indianapolis who has a, a problem playing movies on his Android phone. We'll, we'll talk about that. But I do want to remind you about backing up. I do this every weekend. It'd be, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you. Sunday, backup day. See, I have to remind people to back up. Ideally, you, it would just happen all the time. You wouldn't have to think about it. You wouldn't have to be reminded to back up. That's why I tell everybody, get Carbonite. It does it automatically. Not only is it automatic online backup, it backs it up to the secure servers on the Internet where it is 100% safe. Carbonite backs up the backup of the backup of a backup. But also, you can get it at any time. It's online storage, too. So you log onto your Carbonite account on your Mac, your PC, your smartphone, and there's your data. So you can always get to it anywhere you go. That way, if you lose a laptop or your data gets deleted or your hard drive dies, you're still golden. You should try this. You really should. Two weeks free right now without a credit card even. Just my name, Leo. That's all you need. Go to Carbonite.com. Use the offer code Leo. If you decide to buy, and do try it after, do try it for the two weeks, but if you decide to buy, they will extend your 12-month subscription, which is just $59 for a year, unlimited backup, to 14 months just by using my name, Leo. Two months free. You got to back it up to get it back, so do it right with Carbonite. Come on. How often do I have to tell you? Danny, Indianapolis, Indiana. Hi, Danny. Hi, Leo. How are you doing? Very well. What's up? Well, I had the Joyd Incredible, and um, I got the Joyd X basically because I wanted a bigger screen. And I love the Droid X. If if my uh, business partner hadn't lost it in a cab, I'd still. <laughs> oh, that's that's no fun. I, I lent it. I lent it to her. She said, "Oh, I'm really interested in uh, in, in it." And I said, "Well, try it for a week." I have, I as you know, more than one phone that she lost. It. That's all right. I love Android. I'm a big fan. Yeah, I am too, um, and I I use a program called uh, Handbrake because I still use the uh, the iTunes ecosystem. I would just buy DVDs and rip them onto my computer. I put them, drag and drop them through my SD card, and uh, watch them just fine on my Incredible. And then I swap the SD card. What's the problem? We're running out of time quickly. It it, it just won't play my movies. It says uh, I don't know if it doesn't support that or what. Yeah, well, and, and that's not surprising. I'm going to put a link in the show notes, how to convert videos and transfer them to the Droid X. Every phone, because, you know, they're constrained resources. They don't have the fastest process. They don't have a lot of memory. They may not have the codecs you need. So you need to convert the phone, the uh, the uh, videos to a format that is exactly compatible. You've got the first part, which is Handbrake. And we'll, knowyourcell.com has a great article on what settings to use with Handbrake to make it work on the Droid X. Hey, I'm out of time. Thanks for being here. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Bye-bye.